Welcome to Untitled Investment Talk, the podcast about all things digital assets. Welcome to the newest episode of the Untitled Investment Talk. Once again, I'm joined by my great co-host and co-founder, Carl Michael. Carl Michael, thanks for being here with me. Yes, pleasure as always, Simon. And today we have a very special and extremely hot topic as the main topic of the show. Uh, we're talking about decentralized exchanges versus or perhaps also a collaboration with centralized exchanges. What are the upsides? What are the downsides? What are the main differences? And what are they good for? Are they competitors in some ways? Are they helping each other out? And is one maybe offering a service that the other one cannot? All these things and a lot more, of course. We're going to explore together with Jan Kühne today. He's just recently joined Börse Stuttgart Digital Exchange, one of the most uh, innovative and interesting players in the entire field, at least in my opinion. And Jan is going to tell us a lot more about what's going on there. Jan, thanks a lot for taking the time today. Thanks a lot for having me, Simon. And come, Michael. It's been an honor. Thanks. So maybe we could start and jump directly into what really brought you to the blockchain space, what caught your interest. And then, of course, how did you get to digital assets in particular? Well, what brought me into the blockchain space, I guess it was around 2017 with the Bitcoin and Ether bull run and the ICO, how, which caught my interest on that. And what really thrilled me about DLT and blockchain was that finally trust was given back to the internet. And if, if we think the early days of internet, that was a peer-to-peer -peer network in the beginning, but at Web 2.0, what made internet really big was all these intermediaries coming in place and, and they had some value proposition, but for all of those and for all platforms out there, one value proposition was establishing trust between the users and seeing the blockchain and the DLT technology bringing this trust into the internet without the need of an intermediary to have a trustless communication peer-to-peer. -peer. I thought that will be a major change. I don't know if Web 3.0 was already a term used or widely used, but I saw that as a huge potential and also for everybody in the space who acts as an intermediary and banks where I was working for are intermediaries. I think there will be major changes over the next couple of years. So that's what brought me into blockchain. As you already mentioned that, what got you to the topic of digital assets? And now in that regard also, how did you get to join Börse Stuttgart and Digital Exchange in your current role? Maybe also explain a bit what you're doing in your current role at Börse Stuttgart DAX. Yes, maybe to, to go a little back, the first sort of tackle points we had regarding blockchain use cases as a bank was in the alternative investment tokenization space 2018. We tried to set up things there, but basically the framework was not fit for banks to move into that space. That changed dramatically in 2019 with the AML5, making it uh, mandatory to have a KVG license and to offer crypto custodial services. And that was the entry point uh, for lots of banks in, into the space. And we at that time at MMVABO pushed forward a custody a solution to get into the grandfathering and have an offering out at the end of 2019. And we pushed that forward because I saw that was the missing piece for institutional investors to adopt in crypto. 
Uh, unfortunately, at Warburg, we decided not to invest in the own infrastructure and drop out of the license process. So I uh, was that bullish on, on everything happening in crypto finance that I said I had to commit myself fully. So I uh, left Warburg summer last year and was happy then to join Börse Stuttgart Digital Exchange in fall uh, of uh, 2020. And my role there is basically to build up the B2B sales, the onboarding of institutional clients and their customers to the digital exchange of Börse Stuttgart. Since Börse Stuttgart is, I think, the second largest traditional exchange in the German market, if you compare the traditional business model of Börse Stuttgart with what you are doing at Börse Stuttgart Digital Exchange. Uh, what is the difference? Are there similarities? Is there any direct linkage between both uh, business models? There is a linkage, of course. We, we, when we build it up, our training engine, we used lots of know-how from the traditional world. And of course, we do use a part of the regulatory framework of the Börse Stuttgart example, given the KVG paragraph 2, absent 12 license that is serviced by the, by the Börse Stuttgart group for the Börse Stuttgart Digital Exchange. But the main difference between a traditional exchange for securities and a crypto exchange for uh, cryptocurrencies is that at a crypto exchange, it's possible for the investor to onboard directly to the exchange and there's no intermediary in between. If you place a trade on the, on the Börse Frankfurt or Börse Stuttgart, you don't do that directly, but you do that via your bank where your deposit and your cash accounts are. And, and that is totally different in the crypto exchange world because there you have a direct access to it. You have to onboard yourself. And of course, everything which goes along with that has to, to reflect on that. So at Börse Stuttgart Digital Exchange, we don't have a settlement layer out of intermediaries and payment agents and CSDs in between. All these intermediaries, they are not taking place if you onboard directly. And so for, for the customer needs that he has to pre-fund his accounts directly at the exchange, both with regard of the euro and, and fiat accounts, but also with his assets from the coins account. So that, that's a major difference uh, between a traditional exchange and a crypto exchange. And basically the major challenge a crypto exchange has to build up all these infrastructure, which then has to be serviced by the exchange itself. Is there any technical integration planned in the future or are these like two different businesses? Because you, you clearly describe that the onboarding process is quite different between both entities. We have our own onboarding process because the, the customers don't onboard indirectly via, via an intermediary, the, the bank where they usually have their finance relationship. The, the trading engine with Greenfield development there by our own team, custom made. And so there is no technical integration, but what, of course, what we use sort of like compliance, regulatory framework, those things are serviced in part by the Börse Stuttgart Group. And from, from a technical perspective, of course, there's other challenges like 24 seven. In, in the old world, you have five days a week and not seven, you have cutoff times overnight processing, all that stuff. That doesn't work in the crypto world. 24-7 there is, is necessary, or to be very precise, it's 23.57 where the exchange is online and the customer is able to trade. So that is 
That seems minor, but actually it's not. And of course, from the asset side, you have to integrate wallets. You have to have to have the connection to the blockchain. You have to be able to process 16 digits after the dot point. So there are, there are more challenges to that in addition. I think currently on Börse Stuttgart Digital Exchange, you offer trading in Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin and Ripple. Yes. Do you to do you ex, do you plan to extend this portfolio in the future? And we, if we, so, what yeah. are your criteria for listing new currencies? Yes, we are, we are planning on adding additional coins to that. And the criteria is market cap. That is probably most important for us as of now. Market cap and maybe the projection we have for market cap for the coin. But to be honest, probably 80%, 85% is, is concentrated on, on Bitcoin at the moment than Ether. So we don't see that much of a need from the customer side regarding adding additional coins. We will do that, of course, but I wouldn't expect that we would have, I don't know, a dozen coins by the end of the year. That won't happen. What I see from a business perspective, maybe even more important is that at the moment the customer is able to order and transact a coin against or crypto against fiat and it would be probably very helpful to add stable coins so the people would be able to order crypto against crypto now maybe since you already mentioned your mm -hmm. customers mm -hmm. how do how these customers split up how big of a segment are retail customers how many are institutional clients like bunker scheich for example i think this year we've, we've been talking a lot in the industry about um, the year of institutional adoption the year when uh, the big players are really entering the market with of course tesla with um, a couple of retirement funds and so on and so on and how is it looking for you right now How is the split between retail institutions and which segment is growing faster? That's maybe a little too early to tell, but it's true. It's not only that everybody talks about institutional investors entering the market. This is actually happening. And, and we got it from a lot of talks we have with banks and, and other institutionals who are eager to get into the market. But it's probably easier said than done. Börse Stuttgart Digital Exchange started one and a half year ago with a solely B2C offering to get the operations going. And we are just about to add institutional clients on top of that. We started with the OIVAX as a liquidity provider and Bankhaus Shai was the second liquidity provider onboarded last year. And as of now, we are in, in talks with quite a few institutional clients on onboarding them as well. But there are some some obstacles in, in that wave, especially for banks. The regulatory environment is not totally clear, especially with regards of the um, crypto custody license, whether that is needed, in which cases is it needed, if an outsourcing of the custodial service to a crypto custodian is possible or not. Those are things we are in discussion with quite a few banks. So at the moment, the volume and the number of customers is driven by our B2C offering. But I think for the future, when we believe that mass adoption will come and I do that, this will come uh, via the rails and the customer relationships, which are already established. And once we see the first banks offering their existing customers to go into crypto from their existing bank account and depot, I think then we will see mass adoption. And that's basically why we as an exchange 
add to the B2C offering we have as a standalone pony, if you like, a B2B2X offering. So uh, B2Bs are able to use our trading venue to offer their customers an off-ramp uh, into crypto. Since our topic today is mm. centralized versus decentralized exchanges, mm. so decentralized DEX mm. and centralized CAX and mm. Stuttgart Digital Exchange is a obviously a centralized exchange. It would be very interesting to see the pros and cons of, uh, of each approach and we will dive a little bit deeper into it in just mm. a few seconds. But let's start here with the decentralized exchanges. So the Curve, the Uniswap, the SushiSwap, the Bancors. I mean, these have experienced a phenomenal uptake, especially starting Q3, Q4 last year. If we just compare mm. the whatever average value locked into mm. DEXs that was 40 million a year ago and now is around 17 billion as of today, so... March 31st, this is a 40x increase. That's really incredible. So it would be very interesting for our listeners to learn the, about the pros and cons of each approach. And I think mm. we have prepared an, an interesting, let's say, experiment for it. Before we move into this, maybe just mm. very briefly from my side, what are the main differences or, or kind of features of centralized and decentralized exchanges? So with centralized exchanges, obviously, we have a um, centralized entity, a company managing the trading process. We have an own order book. We have market makers. We have market takers. And what's important here is to understand that the private keys of the customers are integrated wallets. They remain on the exchange. With decentralized exchanges, the opposite. So the users keep their private keys. Most of uh, what is done on decentralized exchange is anonymous. We don't have any know your customer or anti-money laundering measures in place. Normally, we have automated market makers, so no real market makers, but, but what we have there are only market takers. And everything is obviously on a decentralized exchange. It acts on a decentralized app on the blockchain, so we have no central entity. I think for the moment that that should be sufficient to characterize the main differences. But now let's really start to learn about the pros and cons. And we thought about gamifying this uh, discussion uh, a little bit. Let's assume we are in parliament here and we have two parties, the CAC, so centralized exchange party, which is represented by you, Jan, and we have the DEX, so decentralized exchange party, and, and that is what Simon will represent today. And what our listeners would be interested in is really in a kind of parliamentary argumentation, what are the pros and cons? And so, Simon, maybe if you can start with your DEX plea here. Sure. I mean, let's, let's take the pro, let's say pro-consumer approach. And I would make the case that for decentralized exchanges on the, in the very beginning, you have the way lower fees in general, there are no third-party fees. In general, fees um, should be a lot lower. Of course, you sometimes have the issue of, of gas prices with Ethereum, but it's yeah that can be mitigated. There's layer two solutions. In general, open source software has done a tremendous job and the communities have done a tremendous job building decentralized exchanges that really don't need a central player. Uh, I would say that users always have access to their private keys. Um, they don't need to entrust anyone else with it. 
Um, they don't need to pay for safekeeping. There's less, let's say, consolidated leveraging of third-party funds ongoing because, of course, everyone's only trading with their own funds or maybe peer-to-peer -peer credits um, that they can trade with. In general, no one can block a transaction. Everything is going on in a decentralized manner. Any coin can be traded, so it's a very open market. If people, if two people meet and they want to exchange, they can do that. And of course, you can also set it up in a way like Uniswap or yeah, YFI and so on are doing it, where people also get rewarded for providing the liquidity. So there is a there's a mechanism that rewards users once again to provide liquidity to to the decentralized protocol. So I would make the case that the DEXs are clearly pro-consumer in this way. Okay, now we are really interested to learn about Jan's position as the parliamentary representative of the Kex party. You, you know that you owe me one, so I have to be on the dark side now. <laughs> <laughs> But I guess working for DEX, I think ASX, I think that is quite obvious that that is my role. All good. Well, I think what... What the customer wants are basically three things. First one, he wants to trade crypto assets. Second is he wants to store these, to have a custody solution on there. And third, he wants to have information on the market, what's going on in the market, what prices are there, what new developments are in the markets. And basically, a centralized exchange give him all of that at one-stop shop, trading, custody, and information. And I think that is so much compelling for the customer. That's why these exchanges have grown so massively over the last years. Correctly, you mentioned the 100x, I don't know, from, from decentralized exchange since last summer. That is very 40X. impressive. 40X, yeah. Huh? 40, yeah. 40X. Yeah. That is very impressive, quite clear. But if, if you compare it to, to a centralized exchange, I think we still have a fraction of Five to 15% DEXs versus central exchange, something in that range between those services. So, so why is it that customers go to the central exchange to have that at one hand? And I think, first of all, users are lazy. You could be, you could try to educate them, but still at the end, if they get it out of one hand, that's something they appreciate very much. Second one is, for some reason, they trust exchanges and you could very good argue that if that trust is well deserved we know from other exchanges and incidents we have that those trusts could be questioned um, talking from the Börse Stuttgart digital exchange perspective I think that is different because the custody here is serviced uh, not by the exchange but a different entity which is the Blocknox GmbH a regulated custodian under German law uh, which belongs to the Börse Stuttgart group as well and so I think the trust in, in that case and in other cases and other exchanges is deserved as well. And the third thing is the, the money at the moment goes to the central exchanges. And of course, they use it to constantly improving the product and the services for the customers. So I guess that's the reason why central exchanges are that big and why customers go to central exchanges. Simon, one point you touched were the fees. That is, in some cases, it's true. If you buy crypto at Revolut, you pay, I don't know, 2.5% on that. If, if you're not on Coinbase Pro, you pay 1.5. Coinbase Pro, I think, depending on how much volume you make, but in the beginning, you're at 50 basic points. So that is more 
expensive than Uniswap, but still at Uniswap, you have 30 basic points plus gas fees. So that is not that much far away from what you pay at a centralized exchange, giving the right offering. At Börse Stuttgart Digital Exchange at the moment, we have 20 or 35 basic points fee for trading and no additional gas fee and no additional custody fee on that. So I think that is quite competitive to a Uniswap pricing you have there. Uh, Jan, do you see the... I mean, uh, let, let's relieve you a little bit from uh, now doing the advertisement for the for the DEX party and going to a more neutral objective uh, point and your experience in this. But uh, anyhow, thanks Thanks mm -hmm. a lot for for participating in this approach. Do you see the Uniswap, the curves and others as competition? Is this something complementary or will there be any kind of even kind of cooperation in the future between DEXs and KEXs? You, you can answer this either from a general perspective or from the position of Börse Stuttgart, however you like. I think it, it depends on it's it's probably... All of threes you will find with regards to different uh, products, differing services there. I think digital exchange will be definitely complementary to central exchange if you think about all these altcoins coming in the market. But that is something I'm, I'm pretty sure central exchange will not be able to cover all those vast universums of coins out in the market. Coming from, from Börse Stuttgart, we only have four. But even if you go to Coinbase, you're still waiting on the the coin you were looking for and you might not find it there and then you can think go to Binance or Kraken or elsewhere or go to Uniswap and definitely there it is. So uh, I think from that uh, point of view, altcoins, we will see DEXs as very complementary to central exchanges. Will it be a competition for the large uh, central exchanges? They will lose some market share to uh, decentralized exchange. I'm sure about that. But at the end, is it a strategic threat to them? I don't think so, because the value proposition I mentioned, especially if you think about mass adoption, this will always have a, a major share for centralized exchange. And of course, there will be people who are more on Simon's side and will appreciate those value proposition. But I don't think it's a, it's a real dominant threat to a central exchange in the future. And talking from a Börse Stuttgart uh, perspective, the customers who onboard at the moment and the customers we try to reach with our B2B offering, they are not thinking, uh, am I going to Börse Stuttgart Digital Exchange or am I going to Uniswap? They want to find a, a regulatory compliant, trusted way into crypto. And in, before they haven't found that way, they won't think about Uniswap, anything like that. So nothing which keeps us awake at night at the moment. What we do see, of course, is there are some fundamental differences uh, between crypto exchange and decentralized exchange and some value proposition. A centralized exchange cannot offer. One of them, Simon, you already mentioned, is providing liquidity to Uh, a decentralized exchange. That is something a centralized exchange does through institutional parties onboarded to the exchange and they're acting as liquidity provider. So that is sort of an institutionalized service, which at a decentralized exchange is um, done or serviced by the community and gives an additional way on earning interest on the crypto's hold, which is, I think is, is a great thing to do. But one remark on that, providing liquidity, I'm not 100% sure if everybody who does that is aware of the impermanent loss he can incur there. 
and everybody being bullish on on ether or bitcoin might not be the best idea to put that into a liquidity pool against dai example given you already mentioned it to a certain degree from a general market perspective there are quite contrasting theses out there right on the development of digital exchanges and the DEX or KEX market. Some say crypto trading will become very decentralized in the future, whereas others fear increasing regulatory hurdles for decentralized exchanges. So regulation obviously plays a big role. Let us understand what is your view on the European crypto asset market regulation, the Mika regulation, especially in this context, DEX versus, versus CAX. Starting with the good thing about Mika is that's a regulation and not in comparison to PSD2, just a directive. So the good thing is we will have a regulatory framework for all European countries and not like as a directive where every local national regulator interprets it in a different way and we don't have a capital market union at the end. So I think that is good and it's good to see the EU being pushy on bringing that forward because I think the market needs that. But besides that, it's a little frightening what could happen there if you look at the draft paper as it is now, especially parts regarding that somebody has to submit a white paper for a crypto asset, that there must be an issuer as a legal person to that and all these sort of definitions which are not quite clear what at the end will be a crypto asset or not. If you read it at the moment, probably something like Bitcoin wouldn't be allowed under Mika. It, it will be in the future because there's a grandfathering for everything out there at the moment. But seeing all these innovation taking place regarding DeFi, and I'm, I'm very bullish on that, what's, what's happening there. And that goes for decentralized exchange as well, because they're just beginning to innovate. This could be a, a big hurdle uh, for innovation within the European Union, if it goes that way. And it would probably then lead to a situation where the customer would go to exchanges in USA or Asia because no AU-regulated crypto asset service provider could service those offerings. So I am sure there will be changes and the signals you get out of the market is that there's some, some rethinking on parts of the Mika regulation. So hopefully it won't be as it is now. The Mika tries to establish a quite strict regime on stable coins, right? Yes. And if we look at decentralized exchanges, there is no fired on-ramp with them. So they are relying to a certain degree on, on any kind of stable coins. And mm. stable coins and KYC, I think, are very important ingredient in the Mika regulation. Do you think that could kill the whole DeFi? Could kill the it, whole DeFi movement? It, it, it won't kill DeFi. It will set Europe back. <laughs> so <laughs> probably DeFi doesn't care that much. And, mm. and for everybody okay. in Europe enthused about the possibilities in DeFi, I think that's not a good thing. Yes, the e-money license wouldn't work for a lot of those stable coins we have at the moment. I think it's good to have a close watch on that and everything happening around Tether is something which worries me. But I think the Mika regulation does not tackle that in a sufficient manner. And if you see DAI, that's an open question to me whether that is a stable coin in, in the sense of Mika. And if, if DAI should have an e-money license that will never happen. And I think that the innovation and the beauty behind DAI 
if, if Mika would disallow that, that would be very bad for the DeFi ecosystem in Europe. So that is definitely something that would have to change in the final draft. Yeah, I believe in many ways it feels still right now at the current state of the draft, like people are writing it that are thinking from how can we make the current regulation kind of work for it to be digital instead of thinking about what are the new possibilities, what's actually going on with, mm -hmm. as you said, innovation. Mm -hmm. And that has, can we just look at that from a fresh perspective and yeah. not just try to take the old, like put a bit of makeup on it and present it as new. Yeah. So yeah, I'm very much on your side here as well, because of course this stuff is going to keep happening. It's just that we in Europe are not going to have many more stories like Bitpanda, for example. Maybe that's going to be the only uh, unicorn we see in this space if we are not very careful. Yeah. And, and we need fiat on-chain and the CBDC from Europe will probably take, I don't know, five years or 10 years if it's coming. Mm. And so we need in between, we will need stable coins in uh, other ways. Otherwise, then in two years or so, there might be a Chinese central bank currency in Yuan and people will use that. This cannot be something the, the European Central Bank is prone of happening. Definitely. It's quite frightening sometimes when you read the statements like Europe, a digital euro could happen within five years or something. And that's, that is then a short time frame. But of course, things move a lot faster than that nowadays. It won't happen then. Maybe if I can share this. Lately, I, I saw from one of the Wirtschaftsweisen, he had an article in the Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung and his suggestion to the, it's to set up ATMs so people can get their uh, cash. Amazing. Hilarious. <laughs> that solves everything. Yes, definitely. <laughs> so maybe kind of on the topic but looking at going a bit further mm -hmm. at the end of each untitled investment talk we're asking one golden question oh, yeah. to our guest and those are in general looking a bit further ahead or well um a bit more visionary you could also say mm -hmm. so how long do you think it will take for when we now see institutional adoption in crypto in general mostly in bitcoin but a bit in ethereum how long do you think it will take to see DeFi tokens and DeFi products to really be available for institutional clients for example through fully regulated players like um, bsdex so when do we see German retirement funds, for example, getting in on yield farming via Badger or Lido. That's a tough question. Having all these obstacles at the moment, if you talk about funds, example, given a use it is not allowed to invest directly into Bitcoin at the moment. So so that's where we are now at the moment. Probably it is, as, as in a lot of uh, technical innovation we have seen over the last decade or two decades, it will take longer Uh, to things happen, but when they happen, they will probably be even more disruptive uh, than we can imagine at the moment. If I would have to give a time frame, I would say four to five years. I mean, I think that's quite optimistic anyways. I wouldn't have been surprised if you said maybe 10 to 15 years. No, honestly. I think it's it, it will be quicker than that. But, well, maybe then we, we should meet in five years and see. <laughs> <laughs> who's right with that if you look back Uniswap was founded three years ago founded mm. and, and yeah. now where, where they're now at so the question will maybe who will offer these services will it be banks or others in the market because um, as Bill Gates said banking is necessary banks are not no definitely I mean yeah. 
And that's also why my question was definitely, when are these services going to be available? Um, not when are banks going to offer them? Because I have a, mm -hmm. absolutely am of the same opinion that, as you just mentioned, but that, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, services yeah. are products, like the companies are not necessary for providing the products. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure that in two to three years, every major bank will offer the customers a direct investment in Bitcoin and a wallet. Pretty Absolutely. sure about that. Absolutely. I agree to this. I mean, uh, think about our last uh, podcast with Julian Grigo from Solaris mm -hmm. Bank. He was even quite bullish about banks getting into this DeFi lending and, and staking space. Let's hope he's right. Huh? Definitely. Mm -hmm. So, Jan, thank you so much for being with us today. And thanks a lot for all your uh, very insightful answers to our quite numerous questions. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. It's been a great time. So, uh, I guess... Michael and I would definitely be happy to have you back again. Let's see what happens over the next one or two years. And I think uh, we definitely have a lot of fresh stuff to talk about. Maybe sure. even earlier than in five years, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Carmichael, also thanks a lot for being here with me today. And especially thank you to all of our listeners, of course, who've been with us now for quite some time already and maybe have been listening to the previous shows as well. If you're new, then of course, um, very much welcome again. And thanks for sitting with the three of us for the whole more than half an hour, at least. So stay tuned. We're going to come out with the next episode, just as exciting within one or two weeks. And as we always say, Untitled Investment Talk, all signal, signal, no noise, and see you in the next episode.